1: Welcome to another episode of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines. My name is Clark Ollers. And I'm Serge Antonin. And today's topic is the curious case of Marlon Cushall. Marlon Cushall is, at the time of this recording, a sergeant on the Baltimore Police Department. Now, by way of full disclosure, Sergeant Marlon Cushall, spelled K-O-U-S-H-A-L-L, is a client of mine. I have his permission to discuss his case on this podcast. His case is interesting because there was a single event that resulted in two tracks or two legal outcomes completely contradictory that have resulted in an unusual outcome for Sergeant Cushaw. Serge, what are the facts of this case that are beyond dispute?
0: On or about August 26th, 2018, at 0120 hours, that's one twenty a.m. for people who aren't into military time, kushal used physical force upon Middleton, the complainant. The force was subject of multiple evaluations by Baltimore Police Department. Shortly after the incident, a Baltimore Police Department Level 1 use of force report was completed the responsible party reviewing Kushal's use of force concluded that the force was reasonable and proportional to the resistance put forth by Miss Middleton. On April 6th, 2020, an expert opinion was completed by the BPD use of force expert Scott Swenson. The force that Sergeant Kushal used was approved force authorized to overcome the resistance of offered by the suspect. Sergeant Cushall's use of force was, therefore, objectively reasonable and consistent with accepted standards of police practices, policies, and training. On September 7, 2020, the Public Integrity Bureau completed its internal investigation of the incident. Detective Bruce Gertz, spelled G-E-R-T-Z, as in zebra, exonerated Cushall of all misconduct related to the use of force, except for the VCS-slash-other misdemeanor and failing to activate his body-worn camera. The VCS-slash-other misdemeanor was deemed sustained solely because Kushal, was convicted of assault in the second degree and misconduct in office. On September 24th, 2020, the police commissioner's designee filed two administrative charges against Kushaw. The two administrative charges are essentially one failure to obey the law and two conduct unbecoming a police officer. The predicate for each of the charges is Kushal's conviction in Circuit Court criminal case. On May tenth, twenty twenty two, the Honorable Lynn Stewart struck the convictions of assault in the second degree and the misconduct in office, and granted kushal a probation before judgment. Now, I told our listeners at the outset that this was an
1: unusual case. Here's what's unusual. You just heard the facts beyond dispute. There were three administrative investigations on the use of force. And each of those administrative investigations, the first on the night of the incident, the second by a use of force expert, and the third by internal affairs of the Baltimore Police Department, all three concluded that Kushal's conduct was within the policy of the Baltimore Police Department. Now, before we go any further on why that's important, recall that on April 7, 2017, the United States Department of Justice and the Baltimore Police Department agreed to a voluntary consent decree overseen by United States District Judge James K. Bradar. All the events in this case happened after the consent decree was agreed upon by the United States and the Baltimore Police Department. After the consent decree, the Baltimore Police Department advertised an extensive process to develop policy and to train police officers. The website advertising the Baltimore Police Department process states in pertinent part, quote, under the consent decree, the Baltimore Police Department's policies and training undergo a stringent development process. This process includes collaboration with the Department of Justice and monitoring team, as well as feedback from officer and members of the community. A policy does not become an active policy until several steps are achieved. Why is that important? It's important because it means that The policy of the Baltimore Police Department, in effect, at the time of Kushal's conduct, had been approved by the United States Department of Justice and was being overseen by United States District Court Judge James K. Bradar. And every investigation by the executive branch of government, that is, by the Baltimore Police Department, under consent decree with the United States Department of Justice, Ruled in favor of the force used by Kushaw. Now, as an aside, I should tell our audience one other interesting fact in this case. The person that Sergeant Kushaw was accused of using force against was an off duty Baltimore Police Department sergeant, a woman who, with other women, had been celebrating an event. At a strip club on Baltimore City's infamous block. Now, one thing that's critically important to understand in this case is that the use of force was, in my opinion, and Serge, I think I speak for you when I say this, a minimal use of
0: force. I've seen worse things on cops. (laughs) And that's a nationally televised show. Let's be honest.
1: In any event, the use of force resulted in the following. That evening, according to police reports, Sergeant Middleton refused any medical care. Following that evening, Sergeant Middleton professes to have severe injuries netting a $40 million lawsuit <laughs> against Kushaw in the city of Baltimore filed in the United <laughs> States District Court. But there's more. Oh, there's more. So I said there are two tracks to this case. And the first track is an administrative track, which in terms of policies and procedures of the police department regarding the use of force, Kushaw is exonerated. By the way, literally, that's the word used by the internal affairs report,
0: exonerated. Can't Can't get any better than that. And I mean, that says a lot coming from an internal affairs unit that has had its share of black eyes when it comes to conducting investigations unfairly. And for them to see it that way is, I mean, it's, it says a lot.
1: The second track involves something that, and Serge used the term VCS. VCS is Vernacular for Violation of Criminal Statute. And basically, what uh, what Cushaw ends up accused of internally is being convicted of a crime. Here's what happened. On the night in question, Cushaw detains Middleton. Upon learning that Middleton is a police sergeant, Cushaw issues citations For disorderly conduct and releases Middleton. As the parties are approaching a trial date on the disorderly conduct, Sergeant Middleton or her representative approaches the state's attorney's office for Baltimore City. At the time of this recording, Wednesday, November 8th, 2023, the then state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby is now the defendant Marilyn Mosby in United States v. Marilyn Mosby, a trial underway today in the United States District Court, Southern Division in Greenbelt, Maryland.
0: It's almost as if the Karma Police issued a warrant for her.
1: (laughs) The Office of the State's Attorney under Marilyn Mosby evaluated the case quite differently from the Baltimore Police Department's. Sergeant on duty, not Kushaw, a different sergeant on duty who did the use of force report, the use of force expert, that is the person paid by the Baltimore Police Department to evaluate use of force, and the Baltimore Police Department internal affairs, and at least tacitly by the United States Department of Justice, who approved all the policies that Kushaw uh, was found to be in conformity with. So, Everybody from a sergeant on the Baltimore Police Department on the night of the incident up to and including the Attorney General of the United States are on one side of this saying Cushaw did everything by the book. On the other side is the Office of the State's Attorney being run by Marilyn Mosby. What the State's Attorney's Office run by Marilyn Mosby did was they charged Kushaw. and that's why I say this is a, a curious case of Marlon Kushaw. Marlon Cushall was charged with two crimes. The first crime was misdemeanor assault upon Middleton. The second crime was misconduct in office. The use of force being unlawful and uh, Cushall being a police officer, that is a state employee, he was subject to the common law requirement of acting in conformity with good conduct and accused of misconduct in office. If it isn't already patently obvious to our audience, I want to make it patently obvious. Here's what's most unusual about the curious case of Marlon Kushaw. Ordinarily, a police officer who's charged with the crime of on-duty second-degree assault is administratively accused of the administrative violation of unnecessary use of force. In other words, if the use of force rises to the level of a crime, a crime for which the state is convinced it can prove the misconduct of the officer by proof beyond all reasonable doubt, then it's certainly outside the permissible use of force, which is, need only be proven by the administrative standard of preponderance of the evidence.
0: Now, let me ask you a question, Clark. Can I jump in? Something the audience may not know, some may know. Wasn't there a video of this incident? Yes, there was. And wasn't the video from the ground and it had audio? It wasn't like from a news helicopter in the sky. It had audio and it was from the ground, correct? Correct. And I I saw parts of the video that were shown on the news And it did have audio, while some of it was unintelligible. This Middleton was involved in some kind of assaultive behavior, at least, am I correct?
1: Well, I don't want to disparage Middleton because I don't want to be named in a 40 million dollar federal No, I get law it. I'm
0: just asking if if that's a fact. If it's not, I, then is that in the I
1: don't I don't I don't want to say that's a fact. What I want to say is that there had been what started the incident was a bar fight. Okay. involving a, a number of women. Okay. The bar fight ends up on the street outside the bar and a Baltimore City officer, not Sergeant Kushal, is dealing with the m- m- melee. And calls for assistance. And Sergeant Kushaw comes to the assistance of the Baltimore City officer on the scene. I, I think a fair statement is that Kushaw believed she was attempting to engage one of the other mutual combatants. Okay. And that he put himself between the two.
0: Well, at the very least, she was, Ms. Middleton was engaging in behavior that was unbecoming of a Baltimore City police sergeant. And evidence to that fact was the fact that the judge in the case, because I remember the news coverage when it was in trial, the judge in the case admonished her from the bench for her behavior. So it, it, it's really a curious case. To, to me, the most curious part of the
1: case is this. It It's, first of all, very, very surprising that on one side are a group of authorities, meaning people whose job it is to ferret out whether or not there's evidence of a crime. And those authorities include another police sergeant on duty. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, the uh, races were – all African-American in this case. In other words, there's no indication that this was a racial-based bias case or that a white police officer got off after internally or anything of that nature. Uh, but in any event, Sergeant Kushaw is just determined to have used appropriate force on the night of the incident. The department then engages this use of force expert. And I got to tell you, the opinion of the use of force expert is like 15 pages of it. I mean, it is a very, very detailed, comprehensive, goes into the training of the officers, what the policy of the officers were, and, and so forth. It's impressive.
0: And disturbing at the same time, that it would have to be that long, and still there's question, But Well, there weren't any questions within the department. In other words, within the department, the, the, the next word I was going to say is exonerated, internal well, affairs. Well, we're says, having this this. Discussion because obviously there were questions.
1: Right. Correct, sirs. There were questions at some level in the Office of the State's Attorney. Now, I find it particularly interesting that the Office of the State's Attorney in Baltimore apparently wants it both ways when it comes to police officers. What's the case I'm referring to?
0: Officer Christopher Nguyen, I believe is how we pronounced it, the one who was charged and convicted for inaction when it came to uh, an assault call he responded to.
1: Well, right. He responds to a report of a stolen car. Mm -hmm. He gets there. He literally arrives, and he doesn't know who the complainant is, who the suspect is. Early in the investigation, the complainant, the alleged victim of the car theft, kicks the suspect in the car theft, and Nguyen arrests the man, the assailant, Ultimately, arrest the other guy as well, as I understand it, for the theft. Yes. But in any event, the Office of the State's Attorney determines that this young rookie police officer, or a fairly new officer, deserves it,
0: to have his life ruined because he wasn't clairvoyant. Correct. Correct. They charge
1: him with not taking action. Now, flip, flip to this case where the officer is, according to the experts on the Baltimore Police Department, acting within policy, and he gets charged for using force to prevent the assault on another person. One thing I have to make clear to our listeners is, to me, and and let's discuss this for a moment, Serge, where do the policies of the Baltimore Police Department come from? Do the officers write them for themselves? No, but the state's attorney's office would have you believe that. <laughs> right. They, they come from an authority called the police commissioner. Absolutely. They're literally signed by the police commissioner. Are they rough guides or are they precise rubrics which have to be followed?
0: I'll tell you something funny. A few years back, I was talking to a detective from Internal Affairs and I was discussing how vague some of these policies are. And I don't know if intentionally, he almost knee-jerk said, they're intentionally vague. So that makes you wonder if they're vague so they can case-by-case it. Well, even if they're vague
1: so they can case-by-case it, Mm -hmm. along with the rules and regulations of the department becomes training. Yes. In other words, these officers are brought into a classroom and they're told— there's a projector, here's the rule, and then they're told here's what it means, and they're given scenarios. And what they found is Kushaw was in full compliance with the rule and with his training, mm-hmm. meaning he was literally doing what he'd been ordered to do, meaning he doesn't have a choice, and he obviously doesn't have a choice in Baltimore City because if he's hesitant and Middleton strikes somebody else... And just for the record, because I don't want to be part of a $40 million federal lawsuit, (laughs) I'm not saying she intended to strike anybody. But if somebody uh, acts in a way that a police officer perceives, A, may strike B, then he is ordered, he or she, that is the officer on the scene, is ordered to take action. They must take action. So uh, my heart goes out theoretically, goes out to anybody in Kushaw's position and certainly goes out to Sergeant Cushaw. So now the case takes more curious turns. Kushaw appeals his conviction. His criminal conviction is upheld in an unreported opinion in the appellate court and still more curiosity. The Supreme Court of Maryland grant certiorari, meaning they're going to review the case on a discretionary basis. Mm. And that probably would have told, I was not Kushaw's lawyer for this appellate process, that likely signaled Cushaw's lawyers that that's a very positive thing. They're taking a review of the affirmation. I would, I would think so. Right. But it turns out, again, curious. Nope. They say in a, a written opinion, Kushaw is liable for both misconduct in office and for assault, and he stands convicted of a crime. So here's where this curious case continues to get even more curious.
0: So next, the same department that exonerated him for his approved use of force now turns around and charges him with being convicted of an assault that never should have even been charged as an assault. If you're a reasonable person who understands that he basically acted at the behest of the commissioner's written orders, so the facts are: one, Kushal assaulted Middleton.
1: Well, when you say the facts, the department alleges these yes, are the facts in the support facts of the and
0: specifications right. in support of their supposed charges. Right. Right one Kushaw
1: assaulted middleton and let me just pause you right there for a moment that is what the department says the same department that exonerate said his use of force was approved was approved and within policy meaning yes. that meaning that a behavior which the department of justice approves as lawful police conduct can also be criminal conduct subjecting you to imprisonment
0: in maryland apparently so Number one, Kushaw assaulted Middleton. Number two, Kushaw was charged with assault on Middleton. Number three, Kushaw was found guilty of assault on Middleton. Number four, Kushaw was charged with misconduct in office. Number five, Kushaw was found guilty of misconduct in office.
1: Now, the specific phrase was found guilty has legal significance to establish that there was a conviction in effect at the time of the Administrative Hearing Board for purposes of proving administrative liability. For reasons beyond my comprehension, Serge may have a a different opinion, but... I don't. (laughs) The Baltimore Police Department did not schedule the Administrative Hearing Board for more than a year after the conclusion of the criminal appeals. In fact, the Baltimore Police Department did not schedule the administrative hearing board for more than a year after an event which took place after the criminal appeals. After the criminal appeals, Kushal's lawyer in the criminal case took him back before Judge Lynn Stewart. And Judge Lynn Stewart struck the conviction and entered a probation before judgment. So that, under Maryland law, the case is Jones v. the Baltimore Police Department, a 1991 Maryland Supreme Court case, a grant of probation before judgment, unless altered by a violation of that probation, has the effect of wiping the criminal slate clean, meaning meaning that, as of the date of Cushall's hearing board, September 26, 2023, Kushal is no longer guilty of nor convicted of assault or misconduct in office. Thus, the facts that Serge read into the record, five facts, one Kushal assaulted Middleton. I've already told you my opinion about that. He was ultimately found by the hearing board not guilty of fact two and fact four. He was charged with assault on Middleton, but the hearing board found that that was not in violation of the Baltimore Police Department rules and regulations. And in a sense, there's logic to that, meaning being charged is not in itself a violation of the rules because that's somebody else's behavior. Yes. You're, you know, I could be charged with, <laughs> with disorderly conduct today for giving my opinion on this podcast it really doesn't mean I'm in violation of the rules of professional conduct. I
0: hope not cuz I'm here too. Right. I'm going to take our friend.
1: But uh, you'd be the key <laughs> witness against me, sir. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so he was found not guilty of charges uh 2 and 4, that is being charged with assault and being charged with misconduct in office. However, he was administratively found guilty of being convicted of assault and guilty of being convicted of misconduct in office on a date that he was no longer convicted of assault or convicted of misconduct in office. My mother used, God rest her soul, used to say the Catholic Church would have debates on how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, meaning, you know, smart, allegedly smart people could debate anything. I think we're at the point of, of legal fiction times two. This is absurd to me. Serge, what are your thoughts at this point as i in our discussion about this case?
0: One of the things that immediately come to mind, I honestly think their wishes are to because of all the publicity, because of the lawsuit, that the city wants Kushal fired. And we cannot believe that these are are the people in charge, the politicians up top, you know who I'm referring to. We can't believe that these are people who are, you know, genuinely working piously to change the city and are just failing by accident. You know what I mean? We're talking about what I believe are narcissists. And in some cases, I'm not a a doctor, but I think sociopaths who are basically scamming the city out of millions of dollars. And, scamming the city taxpayers out of millions. So you take a case like we have here with Kushal and they're basically crucifying this man for something that he never should have even been in trouble for, according to the investigation. So why investigate if you're just going to do it your own way? And I once heard a lawyer say that The problem with government agencies and big companies too, I guess, is that they don't want to be told what to do with their own employees, almost like they take ownership of you once you sign the dotted line. And this is so unfair in a lot of different ways. And one thing I implore the public to do, other officers to do, because we were all guilty as police as long as it's not me, I really don't care until it is you is to show up for these trial boards or at the very least, when you can get your hands on trial board transcripts, read through them and see the things that these police departments do to their own. I guarantee you if some of these citizens could see or would go back and read what these departments do to their own, they'd say, well, how do I stand a fair chance? And we oftentimes see that they don't. And that's why there's a consent decree. That's why there was a DOJ report that even spoke about something like this. But nothing's been done. Serge, I want to tell two
1: <clears throat> short anecdotes about this case, c- completely consistent with what you say about people should look at the transcripts and see what really happens. Yes. First, Serge, I'm holding in my hand and showing you a letter returned to me by the United States Post Office. Okay. Okay still sealed. I wrote this letter on the 5th of September, 2023. In this letter is my request for subpoenas to be issued for defense witnesses for Sergeant Kushaw's upcoming administrative hearing board on September 26th, meaning 23 days before the hearing board consistent with, you know, you don't even get all the evidence until 10 days before the hearing board, but <laughs> here are my defense witnesses, please summons them, right? Yeah. And I addressed the letter to the party that has authority under Maryland law to issue the subpoenas for a law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights hearing board. That party at that time was the acting police commissioner, Richard Worley. And I addressed it to the Baltimore Police Department at their publicly known address, 601 East Fayette Street, Baltimore, Maryland. And it came back to me, returned to sender, unclaimed, unable to forward. Ludicrous. So now preparing for trial, I do the following. Because this case has a certain legal curiosity to it, and it's legally unusual, I write a six-page memorandum of law with three or four exhibits to introduce in defense of the police officer. Now, under Maryland law, and by the way, as, as our audience knows that they follow this podcast closely, the Maryland Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights was abrogated by something called the Police Accountability Act, the reason this case went forward under the Law Enforcement Officer's Bill of Rights is basically a grandfather situation, meaning it was investigated and charged under the old statute. Mm-hmm. So the old statute still applies. Under the old statute, any party, and there's only two, kushaws one party, the Baltimore Police Department's the other party, can submit documents and evidence they want to be considered by the board. So I was well within my rights to do this Uh, to do this memorandum of law with the exhibits. So when I went to introduce the memorandum of law, and this is why people really should read these transcripts, they declined. They said, you're not allowed to do it. Well, of course I'm allowed to do it. They said, well, the exhibits aren't in evidence. So I had to call three witnesses, the author of each of the exhibits, which I had done. I had them there. I called each person. Did you write this? Yes. (laughs) Okay. The exhibits go into evidence. Now I resubmit the memorandum of law multiple times during the case, multiple times it was declined. Finally, I refused to take it back. (laughs) In other words, I'll just, I'll, I'll be stubborn. I'll say, nope, I've given it to you. Mark it and seal it for all I care. But I want an appellate court, the circuit court for Baltimore City, to know that I at least tried. Not only do they not do that, they literally physically have somebody come over and dump them on my desk really yeah yes to go a step further they then write a hearing board report for the review of the police commissioner it makes no mention of my objections it makes no mention of my efforts on behalf of sergeant kushaw to put forth a memorandum of law it is as though i'm not present in other words this is this is just here's what the department proved therefore he's guilty therefore we punish him it is a farce and for anybody to suggest, and, and by the way, real quickly, here are the arguments that the department really should consider. Serge, you agree to the following facts beyond dispute. The department said Kushaw was within policy, correct? Yes. The state of Maryland Supreme Court says Kushaw's conduct was criminal, correct? Correct. Okay, so now let's think about it logically. Who ought to be fired? The guy who wrote the policy that Cushall fired followed, because Kushaw takes an oath to obey the Constitution of the United States, and Kushaw's required to follow the direction and orders of the Baltimore Police Commissioner, unless on its face. In other words, if the commissioner says, uh, load up uh, all the Irish Catholics onto cattle cars for extermination. No, obviously, common sense, illegal yes, order. Absolutely. But it's not an illegal order to say we're going to teach you and train you to prevent crime in Baltimore to intercede physically if you witness the following. (laughs) And this was videotaped. Everybody saw it. Everybody said, yep, he's totally within policy. This is what we trained him to do. So if that training constitutes a crime, it's the superintendent or the commissioner that's at fault, not the officer.
0: What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I agree with that. And one thing that comes to mind is when they – like to pretend that there are recruitment efforts underway and then you have things like this, you can't have both. You can't say we're attempting to recruit replacements for 500 open positions, yet we're going to ruin their lives and obstruct justice to their detriment. Please come on down. Well, Can't a, have it that way. a
1: second reason that I argued to the hearing board, I shouldn't say I argued to the hearing board. Sign up. I should say I tried to argue to the hearing board by preparing a memorandum of law, which was rejected. Mm-hmm. But the next point I tried to make in my memorandum of law is one of the reasons to prosecute and punish police officers for misconduct, for administrative misconduct, is first to punish the offending officer. We all get that. Slap on, you know, you lose leave because you were rude to the citizen. But the second reason is to deter other officers from committing the misconduct. Yes. In other words, Serge was rude to a personal traffic stop. Serge lost three days vacation. Clark witnesses that. Clark says, I better not be rude on the next traffic stop because I saw what happened to Serge. That's what that's called deterrence outside the case. It's absurd to think. Well, I guess let's step back and think about this logically. What am I as a police officer under Sergeant Kushaw's command supposed to do now when I respond to an incident and witness Middleton or anybody else doing something that I am taught under the rules and regulations of the department? I'm to intercede to prevent her from doing.
0: Are you asking me? Yes. I say apply for a new job and use all your sick leave before you leave. C- correct. Because my, my point is
1: I'm being taught. I'm being taught by what happens to Kushal, rather than be deterred from violating the rules and regulations, I'm being trained to violate the rules and regulations. I'm, I'm literally being taught, if you follow them, first of all, if you follow them, the following is true. We'll exonerate you, but you can be criminally convicted,
0: and once you're criminally convicted, we'll fire you for being convicted, that's why they're always stingy with the details and the news is, is not much of a help either. So here's where we're at. The hearing
1: board that convicted Kushaw recommended a 20 day suspension and two severe letters of reprimand to my way of thinking. That was a win because Kushaw keeps his job and keeps his rank. However, under Maryland law, the recommendation of the hearing board is just that, a recommendation. The police commissioner has the right to increase, decrease, or leave the punishment the same. If the police commissioner intends to leave the punishment the same or to decrease the punishment, the police commissioner may do so without meeting with the officer. However, if the police commissioner wishes to increase the punishment, the commissioner is required to review the record and then schedule a hearing where the administratively convicted officer may show cause why his punishment ought not be increased. For this reason, it is always bad news when a hearing board issues a non-termination punishment, as happened in the Kushaw case, and the lawyer receives notice that the police commissioner has scheduled a hearing. But that is exactly what happened to Sergeant Cushaw's lawyer, me, and I got that notice but the story has a happy ending anyway on Wednesday afternoon November 8 2023 I accompanied sergeant Kushaw to a meeting in the conference room of the Baltimore Police Commissioner who met with us the commissioner unlike the hearing board accepted my memorandum of law the commissioner heard from Kushaw the commissioner adjourned for consideration and then came back into the conference room and ratified the hearing board's punishment, meaning Kushaw remains a Baltimore City Police Sergeant. A great ending to this curious story. But wait, there's more. On Thursday, November 9th, 2023, a jury in the United States District Court for the District of Maryland returned two verdicts of guilty for the crime of perjury, Against the accused, the defendant, Marilyn Mosby, the prosecutor responsible for criminally prosecuting Sergeant Cushaw. While I personally think the incredible downfall of Miss Mosby is very sad for her and for the beleaguered city of Baltimore, I recognize that, as they say, karma is a bitch. Serge, any final
0: thoughts about this topic? Yes. Uh, Looking at this from a a layperson's perspective right now, I'm a layperson, I think that people in these police departments, there's like a universal moral obligation to do what's right by people in general, but to do what's right by your officers and to do what's right for the citizens. And what we've observed in this case was not right for the officer involved or the citizens. And when you continue down this road, all there'll be, Clark, is more consent decrees, more DOJ reports, and nothing will be done. Next year, there'll be 700, there'll be a 700 officer deficit instead of 500, which they claim now. And the city is already indistinguishable from hell, in my opinion. So... I don't really know what the end game is, but as P.M. Smith said, what we're looking at is office holders instead of leaders. And I hope that the city can turn around and start moving in the right direction and doing what's right by its citizens and by its officers. Thank you for listening. Thank you.
1: But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met, obligations to truth, to justice, and to liberty. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines, Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address use common spelling and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Ollers, may be found on the website.